Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting session with Kopi Vance as usual. Before we start our show, here is the Kopi with Vance mark. Alright, cheers to everyone. Alright, so I'm sure everybody is at home right now, you know, on a beautiful Wednesday evening, right? Right now after dinner. Yes, so let's start up on uh, our topic today. So today's our topic is all about cervical and because it's cervical awareness month that we are going through in the month of January. And um, I have a guest speaker, which is, um, she officially been on our show before. And uh, such a lovely doctor who shares a lot of uh, information uh, pertaining to women's health. And she's a gynecologist. She's uh, also an advanced laparoscopist and a urogynecologist as well. So let's invite her and let's kick the ball started. Hello, Dr. Hung. Hi. Can you hear me, Dr. Hung? Hi. Yes, I can. Thanks for having thank you, me Doctor. on. Thank you. Thank you for having um, I mean, we are inviting you for the second time on our show on this topic of cervical awareness month. Maybe, Doctor, maybe we even before we even start, I mean, you don't need any introduction because you've been here before. Um, how is this cervical awareness month started and why is it only in January? Why not? You know, I know there are so many months that we talk about. Maybe is there a particular thing? Why is January? Is it because of the importance that given to the in the, in the starting of the year? Is, is it one of the reasons why? No, it's not really. Well, unfortunately, there's only 12 months in a year and there's yeah. so many health problems that women can suffer from. Yeah. So January is health, uh, cervical health awareness month. But generally, every month we do have uh, a focus on a certain woman health issue. So mm -hmm. there's no particular importance. It doesn't mean that December mm -hmm. is the least important month. But generally, mm -hmm. it's great that you're doing more awareness about cervical health because that tends to be an area that a lot of women, you know, ignore. Mm. All right, Doctor. So I know we are going to go on a PowerPoint today. Um, and at the same time, we're also going to talk a little bit on the uh, uh, a few slides and few questions. And I know uh, some of our viewers also have already standing by with a few of their questions uh, to ask yourself. Uh, maybe perhaps before we even want to jump into the slides or even get into the, the topic as well. You know, Doc, I, I was, I mean, usually before every copy events, uh, I, will, I will spend really a significant amount of time to understand what is the topic all about. And uh, what I actually understand about this HPV and these pep smear tests, and um, I went through a little bit more deeper, probably talk about the speculum, the scraper, uh, the test, and, you know, so many things. Um, you know, it sounds as technical as it is, but uh, I just want to make sure that I get this right. Uh, so correct me, right? So there are two tests to, to be done, I mean, on a cervical. Uh, on the pep, pep smear and the HPV. But could we say that HPV is also related to sexual activities? That's why it's been there because they, they say it's more about a virus. But is that, is that, is that, can we conclude that as a, as a, a findings or presentations? Yeah, so you're definitely right. HPV is sexually transmitted. Uh, but it's very commonly seen among sexually uh, active adults. So there shouldn't be any taboo about it whatsoever. Um, but in terms of screening for HPV tests and a pet smear, it's actually done exactly the same way. 
So usually most women get it done with the gynecologist, but there are also options that you can get it done very easily at your nearby GP or even at your nearest polyclinic. These tests are very, very readily available and advocated by the Ministry of Health of Singapore. So there's absolutely no excuse why we should be ignoring our cervical mm -hmm. health. Uh, but generally, how it's done is that, yes, it involves a speculum. And usually, there's a tiny, tiny brush that we use to brush against the neck of the womb, which is the cervix, to actually get some cells that we then look under the microscope to see whether there's any changes in the cells or any presence of HPV DNA material. So that's generally what we do. Mm. And 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 uh, doctor, and also, is it because of the uh, the I mean the cells, right? I mean, it's a bit strange why these cells are keep on changing, and especially pertaining to women's health. Um, women tend to I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but I think I, I I have seen many cases. Probably you will agree or disagree that women tend to suffer a lot of health issues comparison to men. I mean, is it because of the the the, the rebirth, the production system, the, the the ovaries? Is it because of all these things that you know women have to make sure that? You know, yearly they have to keep on doing all these tests to make sure that they stay uh, not only fit but also be healthy as well. Is that one of the reasons? Unfortunately, in exchange for our ability to get pregnant and nurture a child for nine months in our womb and our, basically our childbearing abilities, women have exchanged that with a whole host of health problems <laughs> that men actually don't need to suffer from. So that's actually... I guess a pro and a con when you when you think about it, but I'm sure at the end of the day, a lot of women will never trade this ability for anything else under the earth. So it's probably a balance that we women have to take in terms of taking care of our own women health and also sharing in this joy of motherhood. Mm, okay. Okay, Doc. So I think we will go into the slides as, as what you have prefer, uh, prepared. And then perhaps then later we will go into more details and 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 explore a little bit more. Sure. All right. So yeah. So viewers who are watching this, please do share and like as well, so that uh, more people can actually come on board and um, view uh, Dr. Ng's um, presentation. We are talking about the Cervical Awareness Month, that is January. So please do share and like. Thank you. So in the meantime, um, if you do have any questions, you can also. Uh, post it in the comment section where we are going to take it on shortly after the presentation. So, yeah, it is. Huh? So, can you see my slides? Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. So, in honor of January, obviously, for Cervical Health Awareness Month, there are just a couple of slides that I've prepared that I feel that are must-knows for every woman out there. And so, before we start, we'll just go through the whole anatomy of a woman. So I have here a diagram that shows the woman reproductive organs. So at the central of it all is the womb, otherwise medically known as the uterus. And then from the uterus itself extends two fallopian tubes and that's where the meeting uh, place of the sperm and egg usually takes place. And then the end of the fallopian tube will be your left and right ovaries. Now, at the bottom of the womb or the uterus is actually called the neck of the womb or the cervix. And that's really where the opening to the womb is. Beyond that is then the hollow tube known as the vagina. And beyond that will be the vulva, which is the external genitalia. 
So the focus on our talk today would be the neck of the womb, otherwise known as the cervix. And you can see here on the chart on the right that I've put up is actually from the Singapore Cancer Registry. And it actually talks about the top 10 cancers affecting women in Singapore from 2014 all the way to 2018. So you can see here the usual suspects, the first one, breast cancer. Um, but you do see here that cervical cancer actually features at number 10, which over 1,000 new cases of cervical cancer being diagnosed in women in Singapore per year. So it's definitely something that we need to look into and raise awareness about as well. So a lot of people ask me, what is the risk factor of developing cervical cancer? And the answer is really rooted in human papilloma virus infection or otherwise known as HPV. It's yeah. not just an HPV infection, but the key is that it needs to be of the high risk type and it needs to be persistent. Only when you get a persistent high-risk HPV infection, then you are at a higher risk of developing cervical cancer. Now, it's very, very important to know that in the early stages of cervical cancer, some or most women can have absolutely no symptoms at all. But as the stage of cervical cancer progresses, some women can start developing certain symptoms. And these symptoms will include things like bleeding in between your periods. So for example, if you are having regular periods once a month and suddenly you are experiencing bleeding in between your periods when you are not supposed to, like unscheduled bleeding, or if you're experiencing bleeding after sex, and this is something new that you have not experienced before, or you have already attained menopause. So menopause usually refers to 12 whole months or one year of not having any periods, and then suddenly you're having bleeding all over again. Or some women may experience some very foul smelling or increased amounts of vaginal discharge. And then there are some women who may report having discomfort during sex. If you are having one or more of these symptoms, then it's highly, highly recommended that you get yourself checked out by your gynecologist, especially if you have been neglecting your cervical health and not have had any cervical screening in the recent past. Now, one take-home message at the end of today is that if it's detected in the early stages, cervical cancer is very easily treatable. So you should try and look out for the symptoms as early as possible and seek medical attention. Now, this flow chart is something that I go through with all my patients who come to me for cervical health screening. And I'll go through it in detail so that you understand what's going on. So on the left-hand side is normal and on the right-hand side is cervical cancer. What women need to know is that from normal to cervical cancer is a very, very slow process. It takes many, many years before one starts developing cervical cancer. And before cancer, there's usually always a stage called precancerous changes that starts occurring in the cells. Although these cell changes can be then classified into mild, moderate, and severe, that's what the pap smear is supposed to pick up. It's designed to pick up precancerous changes in your cells, and that's the reason why you should be doing it at least once every three years. 
But for, of course, from research, we have now realized that HPV vaccination, HPV infection, sorry, is the one that is causing the precancerous cell changes in the cervix. And so from there, we have designed an HPV test whereby if you take this test and you test negative for any HPV presence, then your risk of having cervical cancer in the next five years is extremely low. Therefore, you can then afford to test yourself at a longer interval, once at least every five years or so. But if you take this HPV test and it comes back positive, it doesn't mean that you need to panic because most of the time it doesn't mean that you have cervical cancer. It really depends on what type of HPV you tested positive for. Sometimes it's as simple as taking the same sample and running a pap smear and making sure that HPV infection hasn't caused any precancerous cell changes. But of course, if it comes back really positive for a super high-risk type, then you may need to go for something called a corposcopy. A corposcopy is pretty similar to how a pap smear is done, except we make use of a special machine called a coposcope. And that has a few magnifying glasses that we look into more detail of your cervix where we apply different medications on the cervix and look for any color changes that might light up the precancerous cells. And then from there, we may need to take some biopsies here and there. Now, very, very much like COVID, HPV being a virus, there are many, many different strains. So there are hundred, over 100 different types of strains of HPV and we group them into two groups. One is the high risk, which is the cancer-causing type, and the other one is the low risk, which is a non-cancer-causing type. And so among the high-risk group, aka the cancer-causing group, we do know that the 16 and the 18 cause majority of cervical cancers, up to 70% of them. And among the low risk, which is a non-cancer-causing HPV types, about 6 and 11 cause overwhelming majority of genital warts, which is troublesome, but doesn't really translate to cancer. Now this, we have put from a health hub of Singapore, which is very, very readily available. And I encourage all women listening in here to visit this website to get very good and very concise information about your cervical health. So it talks about what women should be looking out for in different stages of their life. So when you are about 9 to 26 years old, then you should be looking into reducing your risk of cervical cancer with the HPV vaccination. And I'll be going through some details about the HPV vaccination in the subsequent slides. When you move on to the next phase of your life and you're between 25 to 29 years old and you've had sex before, then the top most recommended test is actually the pap smear test. And what the pap smear test does, like what we discussed in our previous slide, is it actually looks for abnormal changes in the cervical cells. Now, some people might ask me, why are we not doing an HPV test in this age group? And the reason is because in this age group, we do know that the immune system is very, very strong. So most HPV infections are usually cleared by your own body. So doing HPV tests in this age group may lead to some unnecessary stress and you know unnecessary follow-up tests as well. So the ministry's recommendation at this age group is still the good old PEP test. But when you reach an age of 30 and above and you have had sex before, the recommendations for the first-line test is actually the HPV test. So as mentioned previously, the HPV test is done exactly the same way as the PEP smear. And the only difference is that the HPV test will then check whether or not the cells from the cervix or the neck of the womb actually has the HPV DNA. 
and they actually zoom in to see whether is any high-risk HPV strains that are present in your body. So this is what you should be looking out for when you are 30 years and above. Now, a little note on the HPV vaccination. There are mainly three types of HPV vaccination that's available in Singapore. The one that came out earliest on the Singapore market is called the Cervarix. And then subsequent to that, something called Gardasil 4 came out. And the latest version of the HPV vaccination is actually called Gardasil 9. Now, they all cover some form of HPV. The earliest type, which were the cervix, covered 16 and 18. So if you remember, 16 and 18 actually caused 70% of all cervical cancers. While the other high-risk subgroups like 31, 33, 45, 52, and 58, added together with 16 and 18 causes about 90% of cervical cancers. So the coverage for Gardasil 9 is obviously higher than the older HPV vaccines. Um, of cervix. They also cover in the Gardasil the HPV 6 and 11, which if you remember in the previous slide, causes about 90% of all genital warts. So in terms of getting a Gardasil vaccination, you will be affording yourself some degree or good degree of uh, cervical cancer protection, as well as a very good level of protection against genital warts. Now, in terms of MediSafe coverage, if you're between the age of 9 to 26, there is MediSafe cover that you can claim for if you go for the Cervarix or the Gardasil 4 vaccinations. But unfortunately, because the Gardasil 9 is still a relatively new vaccine in the market, it is not MediSafe claimable. Now, these are the top two questions that my patients typically ask me in the clinic. And it's a very, very common misconception that we hope to clear up in this session today. So there'll be a lot of women who say, actually, I only had sex once in my lifetime. Or, you know, it's been more than a decade or like 20 years since I last had sex. Why do I still need cervical cancer screening? The answer is yes, you still need to do regular cervical cancer screening. And remember, the reason is because the time from normal to development of cervical cancer is very, very slow and very, very long. So as long as you have had sex before, we do recommend that you have regular cervical cancer screening so that if there's any problem, we can pick it up really early and treat it well as well. The second topmost question that I do get from patients, uh, and this is from the cohort of women who have had gone through a series of HPV vaccinations. So they come to me and they said, actually, I've already done the vaccination. Do I still need cervical cancer screening? Isn't it supposed to protect me against cervical cancer? Now, it's very similar to the COVID vaccine. So you can have the COVID vaccination, but still get COVID infection. So the cervical cancer vaccination is exactly the same. You have to remember that protection is not 100%. So in the event that you don't lie within the coverage or you are infected with a different subtype, you would still recommend that you have regular cervical cancer screening. It doesn't mean that you have an HPV vaccination, you have a batch against like all protection of HPV or all protection against cervical cancer is not the case. So we do recommend that women, in fact, we emphasize that even if you have completed the HPV vaccine, you still need regular cervical cancer screening. So that's Thank you. it for my slideshows.
you know, Doc, so that was very good because um, that actually given uh, a little indications uh, what they should do. But of course, we have more questions that's going to come up. Uh, but is the HPV vaccination, right? We talked about it. Uh, is it a compulsory for all women? Because we do have another set of question that if, if a woman says, hey, you know what, I, I'm a virgin, all right? Um, do I need to have this vaccination? No, whether I have to get the uh, test done, cervical test, cancer test done. So what is your uh, expertise, Doc, on that, on that particular yeah. question itself? So currently, the HPV vaccination is not compulsory in Singapore. Although we as gynecologists are really pushing for ministry to make it compulsory because how often can you say that there's a vaccine against cancer? You know, if we can have vaccines against breast cancer, colorectal cancer, to be honest, I think a lot of us will sign up for it immediately. Yeah. So the fact that modern technology has managed to come up for quite effective vaccination, in fact, it was just published not long ago in a very high-impact journal that the HPV vaccination actually reduced the incidence of cervical cancer by 90%, which is a staggering amount. So if only we can make it compulsory and medisafe claimable for all women in the appropriate age group to get this HPV vaccination, I think in 10, 20 years down the road, when we look at the top 10 cancers affecting women in Singapore, yeah. you will soon see that the cervical cancer is not even in that list. And that is really a dream of a lot of gynecologists out there, you know, to actually reach that stage of, um, that stage of, very high cervical health awareness among women. So mm. that's what we aspire towards and that's why we are actually here this evening. Yeah, you know, doctor, is it could be the reason because of the uh, fear of the unknown of the vaccination, perhaps, right, the HPV, or even if they fear of having this uh, pap smear? Because if, I mean, I, I, because the procedure sounds a little, uh, I mean, of course, probably some believe what, you're putting a speculum and then you're going to do scrap out and then you're going to do a test, and then within three weeks, I'm going to get an answer. So probably the unknown fear is one factor. Another factor is, will I have pain? Um, probably, you know, best would be you, doctor. I mean, if you can tell our viewers, what is the pain threshold um, one should not be fear of? I think the fear of the unknown can, can stop us from doing and achieving a lot of things. That's very important. But you need to understand why you're doing the test in the first place. So a lot of women, when they actually understand the importance of this test and they actually talk through the whole procedure of the gynecologist, they actually learn to be able to relax during the pap smear. And to be honest, if you are relaxed, generally the pap smear can be done in less than a minute. It's not something that you need to struggle for like, you know, 10 minutes on the couch or something like that. As long as you are relaxed, you know what you're in for, you know, mo most women can get it done in seriously like 30 seconds or less than one minute. So there's nothing very much to be afraid of. But one important note is that if you are virgin, which means that you never had sex before, there's actually no need to do the HPV or pet smear at this point of time because we don't want to be doing anything funny to the hymen. But once you have had you know, an experience with sex, you have sexual intercourse before, then it's definitely recommended that you start thinking about doing pet smears and HPV tests. 
And that is the same principle why we recommend the HPV vaccination to be done in women from 9 to 26 years old. Because we, of course, we assume from the research that in this age group, you will find the highest proportion of women who haven't had their sex debut before. So if you have not had sex before, then it's a very high likelihood that you haven't been exposed to the HPV virus before. And therefore, getting the vaccination at this point of your life stage would be the most efficacious. So that's what we are basically aiming for. You know, Doctor, in uh, Singapore itself, when we talk about all the other part of the cancers, right? Um, of course, the lung, the you know, brain, and so many cancers are there. Um, is it could be the lack of uh, exposures or the awareness or the education on the cervical especially, or even the stats um, of course, stats is just a number of metrics, but what is the stats in Singapore? I mean, do we have any kind of stats that we, we compare a woman and say 1 to 10 or 1 in 100? Uh, what, what is the possibilities uh, a woman may have a cancer the cervical? Actually, the possibility is not high and it's actually going down and we have seen a positive trend in the past 10 years since the HP vaccination was introduced in Singapore. So we hope that this trend will continue. But in terms of, you know, the incidence of cervical cancer, it's actually about only 10% of new cases if you think about breast cancer. So although breast cancer is very highly publicized, it's almost a, a ritual that a lot of women know that they need to go for mammogram screening, but it's somehow not as intuitive that, that they want to go for cervical screening. In fact, most of the women that I see who start off their cervical screening is only opportunistic. So only after they've delivered their child and then we start talking about you know, the other health issues that you need to take note of, that's only yeah. the first time that they realize, oh, I need to do cervical screening. I never thought about that before because a lot of women, their first contact with a gynecologist is usually only when they fall pregnant and when they are due for childbirth. And so we as gynecologists usually try and take the opportunity to try and educate our patients as far as possible, you know, even we catch them just after the delivery and say, look, you know, this is, these are things that are very, very important. Because unfortunately, it's not at the point in our society is as ingrained as doing a mammogram screening in terms of the pet smear and the HPV test. And also, if we catch it earlier, I mean, doing the testing, um, the pet smear test, to find out whether you got HPV or the cancer, um, the treatments will be faster and can, can the cancer be chased away? Yes, so definitely if you detect pre-cancer changes or even the early stages of cervical cancer, it's super treatable. In fact, for all of the pre-cancer changes, if you're able to detect it in that stage, treatment is as simple as a day surgery procedure. It's, it doesn't involve you even going through a major operation or staying in the hospital for days on end. So the, the most important crux is that you should catch it at the pre-cancer stage so that you can get treatment over and done with quickly. But even if you only manage to catch it in the cervical cancer stage, as long as it's in the early stage, it's very tre easily treatable with just simple operation and a very, very high success rate, a cure rate as well. 
Also, dog, is it could be also be the reason of stress? Can stress affect your CV? Well, there hasn't been a very definite link to link stress and your cervical health. Although there have been some studies to show that women with cervical cancer and a stress-related disorder, they are somehow more likely to die from the disease. And also there have been some studies to show that if you are a pregnant mom and you are under a lot of stress, then there's usually also a slightly higher increased risk of you in going into preterm labor. So there's no definite link between stress and the cervix, but definitely stress has been implicated in a lot of diseases and the cervix is, you know, one of them. And uh, Doc, how about the food? I mean, we always want to talk about the food. Uh, is there any particular food that is good for the cervical? Uh, a particular thing that, you know, for your... I mean, I'm not sure because that that's one of the questions that always pops up whenever we talk about a health topic. Well, in terms of food for the cervix, there aren't any specific, but we do know that incorporating a diet that is high in antioxidants is actually very helpful for your cervical health. So antioxidants will include things like vitamin A, C, D, and E, and there's also a compound called lycopene, which is readily available in things like tomatoes, uh, watermelons, and stuff. And those have actually been shown to reduce the, your risk in developing pre-cancer of the cervix or even cervical cancer. But generally, I think it's a good idea to incorporate antioxidants in your diet in general, you know, not just for your cervical health, but overall health as well, because it's been shown to reduce free radical damage. Yeah, so it's something yeah. that you should certainly think about. And I think they also should consider, you know, I mean, everyone should have a, a dietitian or nutritionist to actually to understand, you know, what we are putting in. I mean, most of the time we are binging on something that we are eating out of hunger. So I think that also could be a, one of the factors as well, like, you know, stress, uh, stress eating as well is also an issue right now. I think most of the, most of us are doing that. Um, so yes, def definitely, doctor. And how about, um, I also have got a question, doc. I mean, how's, I mean, frequent, that uh, we, we want to get this cervical checked on a, on a yearly basis. I mean, of course, it's now it's been a challenge to get a woman to understand that this is important to come in. But if one has done it in the, in the first year in 2022, when will be the next test should be? So it really depends on your age and what test that you did. Unfortunately, in this COVID pandemic, I've seen many patients shelf their cervical health right at the bottom of their priority list. So um, I've actually seen patients come in who said, oh, the last cervical health screening that I did was pre-COVID. And then you think about it, oh, that was already about three years ago because COVID doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Yeah. But it's very important to realize that, you know, even amidst this COVID pandemic, there are other health issues that will still go on and still require your attention. So if you are between 25 and 29 and you're having a pap smear done, then it's recommended that you do once at least three years. However, if you are 30 and above and you're opting to do an HPV test, then you can afford to do it at a longer interval, like once in every five years. But that's 
the intervals that we are recommending is dependent on the test result. So if the test result comes back negative, then obviously you can do it once in three if it's a pap smear or five if it's an HPV test. But if your test result comes back you know, abnormal, then you will need to dis discuss with your gynecologist to see a, do you need further investigations or B, do you need some form of treatment and what is the appropriate follow-up interval? Because for abnormal results, even though it, does, it means that you don't, you don't have cervical cancer yet, but the importance is regular monitoring so that you can catch it in the event it turns to pre-cancer or early cancer so that you can catch it fast. Doctor, what will happen in the last stages? I mean, if someone have, I mean, have not done the test, um, and then um, is there will be any presentation if they already have it a cervical cancer, and then the, will there any kind of uh, presentation that they they need to know? Hey, uh, probably you know, I I I I got this out of five. I got this three, so I better go and see my gynecology because most of the time. Um, whether there's a sign or symptoms of pain, people tend to ignore. If they got a pain, they will say, oh, it's okay, fine, I'll put some ointment. Or if I got a headache, you know. But but if the pain persists for more than one or two days, probably the recommendation, then I think they should go and check with the professionals, with doctors. Not just taking it and, you know, just taking it easy. But for cervical cancer, um, if someone has already had it, right, and the person doesn't know it, will there be any presentations like pain, bleeding, or maybe they're losing weight, or will there be any kind of uh, negative presentations that we are looking at? So the big, big problem with cervical cancer is that majority of women don't have any symptoms until it's too late. And that's the reason why we try to advocate screening and catching things early. Because by the time you get to the stage that you're starving, starting to have symptoms, Typically, when we investigate, then we already find that the cervical cancer is quite advanced in terms of stage. But some symptoms to look out for would be definitely bleeding when you don't expect to be bleeding. So even if you are having, you know, little bleeding episodes in between your periods and you know that your period is not due to come, you know, anytime soon, or you're having bleeding after sex, then it's time to probably get yourself checked out by a gynecologist. In fact, some women may not have abnormal bleeding at all. They just actually have only, you know, they seem to have more discharge than usual. And then the discharge seems to smell a little bit off. And those kind of circumstances, you should also get yourself checked out by a gynecologist. Because by the time you get into symptoms of pain or loss of appetite, loss of weight, then those are really, really quite advanced already. So you don't really want to get to the stage. Okay, Doc, I, I got a, a question from a viewer here right now uh, mentioning about the IUD, right? Can IUD increase the risk of a cervical cancer? So technically not because the IUD is, or otherwise for the rest of our audience, the IUD is actually a short form for intrauterine contraceptive device. So the IUD is something that's fitted inside the womb to actually do some functions. So one is for birth control. That's the most common reason why we use it. And sometimes the IUCD that's implanted with hormones, otherwise known as the Mirena, can also work to help women with period problems like super heavy periods or very painful periods. 
And so the IUD being situated in the womb itself doesn't really have too much effect on the neck of the womb, which is the cervix. So it, doesn't, it hasn't been shown to put you at a higher risk of cervical cancer. But with an IUD in, inside or without an IUD, you should still stick to the same intervals of cervical cancer screening that we recommended earlier. So the, the presence of IUCD doesn't really make a difference on, as to how often you should be screening for cervical cancer. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for that. I hope that has uh, answered that uh, particular viewer. Uh, I have another one. Um, of course, that's through the message itself. I think pretty shy. Um, not to mention him here. Okay, I won't mention. Um, I've actually, I mean, not hi, but she, so it seems like a hi. Okay, um, I've installed IUD a couple of years back and I was conceived. Um, my gynecologist was shocked and I was double shocked together with my baby. Um, until now, we have our third child and we can't find the IUD where it went. <laughs> so I mean I'm sorry, congratulations <laughs> on your on your second kid or third kid, but you know, but so yeah, so I think the concern is where is the IUD and the, both of them are shocked. Does this happen, Doc? Yes, it does happen, but I think okay, overwhelming majority of the time, if you can't find the IUCD, most likely it's dropped out. And because the IUCD is such a very, very small device, so actually the actual IUCD itself is only about two and a half centimeter. It's super small, actually. So most of the time, if it gets flushed out, I would say that it probably happened when you were having your periods in the toilet or something like that. And before you knew it, it dropped out and got flushed out of the toilet. But of course, there's still a very small chance that the IUCD might have migrated the other way. That means you know, through the womb into the tummy or something like that. Usually that is very rare. So your gynecologist will have probably check that out. Sometimes maybe do an x-ray or even a blood test to see whether the IUC is still kicking around. Very unlikely. So given that you have conceived three times after the IUCD has gone missing, if you want to close shop after this, you might want to consider another form of birth control that maybe works okay. a bit better for you. <laughs> but generally, I would say the IUC is actually supposed to be very, very effective in preventing pregnancy as long as it stays in the right place and it doesn't drop out. So there's still a small percentage that uh, it can get lost or it get flushed out, right? All right. Oh, that also uh, explains uh, to that particular uh, viewer as well. Uh, I have one more doc. It said, uh, do all HPV strains cause cancer? No. So there are many, many different strains of HPV and there are two main groups. So there's the cancer-causing group and the non-cancer-causing group. So non-cancer-causing groups are the ones that are just a bit troublesome, but they don't actually eventually lead to cancer. And so we do see them quite commonly in the form of gentle warts or even anal or vulva warts. We see them around the vagina. And those are typically caused by the non-cancer-causing HPV. The cancer-causing HPV are what we call the high-risk kinds. And as we talked about earlier, the two main numbers that we usually look at are type 16 and type 18 because we do know now that they cause you know, about 70% of all cervical cancer. So it doesn't mean that you have an HPV that you need to freak out because it's definitely going to cause you cancer. It's very, very important to understand 
which type of HPV you got infected with. In fact, even if you got infected with one type of HPV, research has shown that it's quite rare for one woman to be infected with multiple HPV types at the same time. So it doesn't mean that you are infected with one type of HPV means you really got all the other 100 types of HPV. It's really not the case. So it's very important to understand, number one, which type that you got infected with and whether or not it has any cancer-causing consequences. And that's probably something that you need to talk about in, when you discuss with your gynecologist. Doc, we have, uh, I think our, our talk has made sense to some women out there because uh, she just messaged saying that in our, our message as well. Uh, thank you for these events and Dr. Ng. I make an appointment for cervical cancer screening. Thank you. Uh, you can actually look for Dr. Ng from ACRM. Um, where are you located at, Doctor? I'm currently at Glad Eagles Hospital. Okay. You can also Google Dr. Ng Kailin to get more information about her and you can actually uh, uh, make an appointment with her as well. So, Doc, I mean, we, 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 I mean, in the, the previous session, I think we, a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Sriram, the vascular surgeon also came on board. We talked about a lot about women's issues. But, um, you know, it, it seems like, you know, there's a couple of tests that a woman have to do on a yearly basis. Uh, but there seems to be a lot of screening. I need to do my mammogram. I need to do my pap smear. I need to make sure that my ovaries are good. My uterus are fine. I don't have fibroids. And you know, so many things. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, when a woman is born, you probably might have a checklist and say, these are the checklists that you need to do. Well, perhaps the man, uh, I, know, I mean, I'm not comparing yet, but it seems like there's a couple of issues um, that a woman should take note of their health. Um, probably should we just touch that a little bit on doc so so that a woman yeah. out there will also oh. understand so if we were to run through the different life stages of a woman when you are like a teenager like you know when you hit pre-puberty at about nine years old to 26 years old you don't actually have to do much in terms of screening but more in terms of preventative work like the HP vaccine like what we talked about then when you reach the age of 25 years old to just before 30 years old, then it's time to consider your pet smear screening if you ever had sex before. Once you hit 30 years old, then it's probably time to switch to an HPV test because that's been shown to be more effective in the older age group. And then once you hit 40 years old, it's time to start doing your mammogram screening. So as we said earlier on, the pet smear, if it's negative, you should do it every three years at least. And the HPV test once every five years at least. Now, when you hit 40 years old, the mammogram should be done once a year. So from 40 to 50, that's yearly mammograms that you should be looking at. And then once you hit the age of 50 years old, then you should still continue with a mammogram screening, but the Ministry of Health says that you can take a small break and do it once every two years. Now, from the start to the end of this, any time when you experience any issues, let's say in, in terms of your menstrual cycles, your period problems, or you start encountering issues with you know, trying to get pregnant or your fertility issues or something like that, then it will be time to check in with a gynecologist and that's when you start getting your baseline ultrasound pelvis 
And on the, on the ultrasound pelvis, we would then look for the common gynae conditions that can affect women. So things like fibroids that can grow in the womb or cysts that can happen in the ovaries and stuff like that. So it is not easy to be a woman, but ultimately, if you can keep track of your own health, then you should be able to catch more pro most problems very early because most of the problems actually when caught early are very treatable. Yeah, thank you for that, Doc, because it definitely uh, eye-opener for a lot of women out there also because th this video is recorded as usual and it's in our social media, so anytime they can actually uh, pop into that and view it. Um, Doc, also also talking about that, you know, um, like you bring up a very excellent point, you know, all these tests are very necessary. But if we are just talking about the woman, I mean, you know, the, the ovary system, the uterus, at the womb, and so and so forth. But we also need to make sure that we do our HbA1c test, we want to do our blood test, we want to do our cholesterol test, we want to make sure that our weight are fine with the BMI, and so many medical tests that we need to do to take care of this piece of equipment, machine, body. So I think it's a, wow, high maintenance rather than having a car. Car you just send for one year, <laughs> you know, once a year, or maybe twice a year, you know, and get it all done. But for the human body, I think you have to do so many tests to make sure that you take care of that, right? Correct. So what I highlighted just now is more specific to women, but unfortunately, you know, we still need to take care of the other general health as well. So I usually tell my patients once they hit the age of 40, then they need to look into other aspects of their general health as well. And that's when your cholesterol screening starts coming in, you know, your screening for high blood pressure, pre-diabetes. In fact, diabetes is extremely common in Singapore. About 1 in 10 adults will have it. So it doesn't discriminate between men and women, unfortunately. So yeah. you do have to get all these things uh, screened. And then later on in life, when you are menopausal for many years, there's one extra disease that women suffer from that men usually don't suffer. And that's actually osteoporosis. Osteoporosis? Yeah, correct. So unfortunately, while we're quite protected with our estrogen during our reproductive years, once we hit menopause, our bone density actually drops a lot drastically than what men experience. So we start running into problems of osteoporosis or osteopenia is actually the stage before osteoporosis when your bones start get becoming brittle. So that one, you will also have to start thinking about once you hit your menopausal years to do a baseline screening at least to understand where your bone health is. And so please remember to start taking your calcium supplements <laughs> Unfortunately, men don't go around having osteoporotic fractures, but women do. So it's overall quite tough to become a woman. <laughs> yeah, dog. I mean, it seems like, and um, I mean, amazing stuff uh, that so many things that you have shared today. Uh, I'm sure it will be definitely will be um, highlighted for a lot of women out there who are watching this. Thank you. If you're seeing this, please do share and like uh, Dr. Ng Kailin from the ACRM. Um, so if you do want to contact her you can always google her up and uh, is there any particular uh, website or any any contact details that they can look for doctor they can probably just google my name and okay. yeah nowadays everything is on the net but in terms right. of screening i want to you know make a point and say you know screening options are everywhere you know th there are some 
there's some threshold that some women feel that, oh, it's so troublesome, you know, I need to go all the way to see a gynae just to get the screening done. Of course, the gynae will be able to do your screening very effectively, but if you find that it's very difficult to get a gynae or very far away, you have to remember that there are options available everywhere around you. So there are GPs who can do your screening, there's the polyclinic, and there's also gynae. So the first step is always the hardest. We always There's a Chinese saying that, that the journey of a thousand miles actually begins with a single step. So as long as you're able to take the first step to get the screening done, I think that after you get that hurdle over, you'll find that things get a lot easier down the line. It's always the first time that you go for the screening, the first time that you do anything that is always the hardest. So that's what we do. I think we missed one part. I think we missed endometriosis as well. We talked about that on our last uh, talk session. Uh, I think that one also, is there a particular test also, right? Is they got to uh, see whether they have this uh, particular endometriosis as well? So usually endometriosis will manifest in certain period problems like super painful periods and all that. So if you do start encountering that, then yes, you will need to check in with a gynae because we will have to do an ultrasound pelvis and see if there's anything going on. So many, many things that a woman needs to look out for, unfortunately. Yes, I still clearly remember we mentioned this in the uh, intro matrices. Uh, we talk about it. So yes, doctor, thank you so much uh, again uh, on, on the topic of the for the month of January on the cervical health awareness um, to, to share the woman's issue and what they should do and what kind of test they should be there, what's the frequency. So thank you so much, Dr. Ng Kailin, for joining us again at Kopi with Benz. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll catch up soon again. Thank you. So yes, that was uh, Dr. Ng um, Kailin. So she's the um, uh, speaker for today for the topic of uh, Cervical Health Awareness Month. Um, who she shared, I think, a lot of valuable, uh, valued uh, experiences that she actually uh, shared. And I think um, a lot of women out there who are watching this, I think it's very crucial that you need to take note of all those stuff uh, and precautions as well. So pains, presentations, if you have certain things that you should also take note. I hope you have enjoyed this session today. Um, yes, for the month of uh, January, we are also going to cover uh, glaucoma. All right, a glaucoma topic, which is the next week. We have an eye specialist who's coming on board. Uh, just a little bit on a glaucoma. I'm not going to touch a lot of that. Just a little bit. It's a, it's a high condition, right? And that damaged the optic nerve as well. And the health, which is very vital uh, for good vision, especially. This damage is often caused by abnormal high pressure in your eyes. So sometimes it's good to see, you know, to check your high pressure as well. Uh, in fact, glaucoma is one of the leading cause of blindness for people over the age of 60. Um, nowadays, you can probably in the early 50s, maybe mid 50s. We do not know, right? But I think uh, all these answers uh, will be given by a specialist who jo will be joining us next Wednesday at 9 p.m. on the topic of eye care. All right. So, yes, it's time for me to sign off. And um, again, I'll be joining you 9 p.m. Wednesday at Kopi with Vance. For now, adios. Amigo, as usual, I say that. Catch you all around. Bye-bye.